do better than that. Give him praise in the house. He's worthy. Amen. Two of you got it. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is one of the most powerful and profound passages of Scripture for several reasons. It speaks to the the doctrine of kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. It speaks to that part of Jesus where even being fully man, and he had to be man, why? Because even Isaiah say that he would be affiliated with our griefs. He would be one that would understand our temptations. He would be one that would understand what it meant to be hungry and thirsty. In fact, we see several different dialogues through Jesus' earthly ministry where he went into places, even meeting the woman at the well and speaking about he was thirsty. And you find out that he didn't even drink anything that day. He turned it around as a ministry opportunity. And then you see him even on the cross saying the words, I thirst. And even at the Last Supper, talking about he would eat and drink at that final day when we're together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all of these different dialogues, but you see him being fully human. And that's so important, church, because if we don't understand the doctrine of hypostatic union, that he was fully God and he was fully man at the same time, then we miss everything that had to happen for us to be redeemed. The reality is, is he had to be fully man because he, if he were not fully man, he couldn't have died. But if he weren't fully God at the same time, then he would merely have been another man that died on the cross. Remember that day, there were two that died beside him on either side. It wasn't the fact that he died a martyr's death. It was the fact that he died a martyr's death as, the, as God in the flesh, that he had to be fully that. So we come to Philippians 2, and we understand that Jesus had to be willing. Now watch this. Don't miss what I'm about to show you, because if we mess up just one or two words in this, then we get into a place of erroneous or false doctrine. Let me tell you what happens. When the Bible says that God had to turn his back on Jesus, and I say that because Jesus said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? That God did not turn his back on his own son, but watch what he did. He turned his back, being a full holy God, unable to look upon sin, he turned his back on the sin that Jesus became. Whose sin was it? It was my sin, it was your sin. The Bible says that Jesus became our sin, that you and I would be made righteous inside of God. So the reality was that he didn't turn his back on his son, he couldn't have done that. That would have been counterintuitive to the relationship that they have in the Trinity. But what Jesus had to do, and this is the beauty of the gospel, is through the doctrine of kenosis, he had to empty himself out of not being God, not being fully God, but empty himself out of the use of his godly attributes. See, he willingly did that. He came as a lamb to the slaughter. No one murdered him. No one took his life. You know what he said? I've come and I laid my life down willingly. He even told his disciples. He said, I will tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. They thought he was talking about a building. He was talking about the temple that he was, the temple of God in the flesh. And this doctrine of kenosis is spelled out in this passage. And I I was praying yesterday and last night about what God would have me to do today coming off the heels of this reset theme that we talked about through Rush. And and one of the beauties of this passage is is that it brings us to a place where we kind of get back to the basics of our faith, the basics of how we are redeemed and the method in which that happened. Of course, we realize that God left perfect heaven, His heavenly abode where all things were beautiful, all things perfect. He entered into, of course, a a man's body in the form of Jesus. He came, that part of the Godhead came to a dirty, nasty place, a manger. He was born among animals. There was no place for him. The Bible even says in his ministry he had no place to call home, no place to lay his head. Why? Because he wanted to humble himself. That's the, the theme of Philippians 2 was that he humbled himself even to the point of the cross. He goes, I want to tell you something. If you don't grab onto that particular teaching, theologically, you miss the whole point of what Jesus did for you and I. 
that he really had a plan. And I love this. This is the beauty of this. The Bible says he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The reality is that before he breathed life into man, knowing man would fall, knowing man would fail, that God in his infinite wisdom would choose us, and yet we would not choose him. We would choose the world. We would choose the, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we've been following that same path throughout all of eternity, yet he chose you. He chose you personally before he framed the world. And he had a plan of redemption to draw you back into himself. When you get your head around that, you cannot contain the love and understanding of mercy that God extends to you. It's amazing. And when we get to this point today, coming out of this theme of reset, it really helped me to kind of small down my view of me, my view of even the church, and my view of our efforts, feeble at best, to realize that God is still God. He's God all by himself. God plus nothing. He doesn't need anything to be perfect in all ways. But watch this. Though he doesn't need me, he will use me. Though he doesn't need you, he will use you. Though he doesn't need his church, he died for her. And the reality is, is when I put my head around that and really wrap myself around what really is going on here, I realize that in 1 Corinthians 12, that God in his infinite wisdom appropriated to you and I diversities of gifts. But the Bible says, though he appropriates different uses of different body parts, there's one spirit. And then he says, and there's diversities of those administrative gifts being being us. Uh, pushed out into the world, whether it be through prophesying, through teaching, through helps, through discernment, that he does it under the banner of one Lord. It's all about one body functioning at full capacity. And watch this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are those among us, and and I submit to you in this room, that would sit back and say, yeah, but my part to this story is really not that big. That my part to this story is the small part of this body. Okay, I get what David is. I see he's a mouthpiece. Or I get what this guy is. He's Man, he's the feet of Jesus. Or I get this girl over here. She can just love anybody, goodness sake. She's the hands of Jesus. You know, I can see those parts. But the reality is, church, I don't want you to miss this. 1 Corinthians 12, the, the Apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said it's those parts who find themselves to be most feeble, most inadequate, that are the parts that are the most necessary. See, it's because of that humility of looking at yourself. And so if you're sitting there today and you say, you know what? I just don't get it. I can't do that. Or I can't run sound. Or I can't flip lyrics. I don't have any kind of technical savvy. How many of you are just absolutely terrible at computer stuff? All right. Guess what? God can use you in spite of that. Maybe you can lift a box. Maybe you can go pray with somebody. The hope is, is that God doesn't need, watch this. He doesn't need your abilities. He just simply needs you to come to him and show him your availability. And all of God's people said amen. See, that's what he wants. He just wants you to step up and go, here I am, use me, God. Isaiah 6, that's what the, exactly what the prophet Isaiah said, isn't it? After he saw the glory of the Lord, and then he saw his own sin, and then the seraphim put a coal into his tongue and purged his iniquities and took his sins away, the question in verse 7, who will I send? Who will go for me? Verse 8, here I am, send me. He didn't even ask him where he was going. God just wants your availability. And as we see these diversities, I want to submit to you a pretty strong statement today. The greatest part of the body of Christ is not the mouthpiece. It's not the hands and the feet. It's putting on the mind of Jesus. It's putting on the mind of Christ. Mark, why do you say that? Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, told his son this. He said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. The Bible says in another place, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaketh. 
And then there's another place where he says that when you talk about the heart and you understand the fullness of it, he says even this, that in the seat of my emotions, as a man thinks in his own heart, so is he. So, so I want to just give you a real quick rundown before we jump into this. If you think that you're nothing and you think you have no capacity to serve, to love, to forgive, or to extend the grace of God, that's exactly what's going to be the outflow of your life. But if you change your perspective and you put on the mind of Christ and realize God doesn't need anything phenomenal to make something great. He can take a mess and make a message. He, there are no mistakes in the economy of God. God created every single person with a plan in mind, put his thumbprint, his spiritual DNA on your life and said, that's what I'm going to use. And the reality is, is a lot of us are not used because we simply don't have the mind of Christ. It's not about our abilities. It starts with our mind. Let me read some verses to you real quick in Philippians 2. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. If not, I think we're going to throw it up there. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read some verses after verse 1 and following. It says, is there any encouragement? Some translations say consolation. Is there any encouragement, he's asking, from belonging to Christ? I ask you that today. What's the encouragement of being a child of the Most High God? I love the way Trip Lee explained it. Guess what? You were born dead. You were born, you were conceived in sin, born in your trespasses. Man, that don't preach good, does it? That sounds kind of morbid. That's not a great way to start a message. But the reality is, is you were born dead. You had to be reborn in the person of Jesus Christ. And then and only then can he set you on a trajectory, a path that would change the world for his honor and for his glory. First, you've got to acknowledge that you were dead. And he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort in his love? How many of you are glad and so glad today that God just loves you right where you are? How many of you just wave your hand at me like you just don't care? The fact is that sometimes you and I are so stinking unlovable. And yet God loves you. And I love this. This is going to take you a minute to let it marinate. God doesn't love you because of you. God loves you because of Jesus. Get, get home today and you'll come and go, dude, I just got that. That was awesome. Is there any comfort in his love? Yes or no, church? Is there any comfort in his love? There sure is. And he goes on to say, any fellowship together in spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Boy, that's a big one. Verse 2. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another. I love this. Working together with one mind and one purpose. The reason that the Acts church changed the paradigm of the Pharisee and the Sadducees is because they got out of a me, mind, and, and your mentality and jumped into a we and said, we're going to do something for the glory of God. And we're in one mind, one accord, one heartbeat. They're praying for the same thing. They're walking in the same direction. When we can get that in our hearts as a church, and I'm not talking about just Northridge. I'm talking about the church churches of this community the churches out spreading out into the state good gracious if 12 people in asia minor can change the world with one heartbeat what can 500 people do what can 28,000 people do what can the 83 percent of america do if we get in one heartbeat and one mind, i'll tell you what we can do we can change laws we can change the demographic of our students coming in and out of school we can change lives the problem is, is we operate under our own personal... I'm just spitting like crazy. Y'all see that? I'm just spitting today. I think I'm so tired, my tongue's hanging out of my mouth. Don't judge. He said, they make me truly happy by loving one another, working together. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. My gosh, we need to put a little asterisk beside that, don't we? Don't, don't, don't try to impress others and underscore this. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out among the uh, interests of yourself, but take the interests of others too. You must have the same attitude. Some say you must put on the mind of Christ. That's what he's saying. You must put on the same attitude Jesus Christ had. How many of you are Christian? You know what Christian is? It's not what you call yourself. It's what other people call you. 
That means that you look like, walk like, act like, love like Christ. Hey, you can wear the WWJD bracelet all day, but the reality is it's not what Jesus did or what he would do. Let me tell you, he's already done it. All you got to do is walk in that mindset, put it on the mind of Jesus and love the unlovable. Extend hope to the hopeless. Forgive the unforgivable. Put all bitterness and malice and hatred and fighting and quarreling among you. Put it all down. And watch what he says. He said, you must have the same attitude of Christ in verse 5. And I'm going to read on. Though he was God, this is kenosis, he did not find it, think of equality with God as something to be grasped or to cling to. Instead, here's the opposite of that, instead he gave up the use of his divine privileges and took the humble position, there's that word again, of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, here's the whole issue. Therefore, God elevated him. How did he get elevated? Because he humbled himself. We are taught and sold a bill of goods. You want to be great, just grab it. You do it. You, got, you want to get ahead in that life, you got to pass everybody else. And if they get in your way, knock them down. To get to the front of the line, you got to be great. But Jesus says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor. Everybody say highest honor. To the place of highest honor and gave him a name that is above all names. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today. Help us to put on the mind of your precious son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And all of God's people said amen. I'm going to give you three quick things, and we're going home, but I want you to grab onto these. These are truths. They're powerful. They've changed my life. Number one, you want to be great. You want to be super wonderful. You want to be powerful. You want to operate under the auspices and the power of a holy God. Let me tell you what you do. You want to put on the mind of Christ. Number one, you need to diminish. You need to diminish. Look what he says in verses 3 through 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Place on humility. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take the interest of others. Number one, you need to get that. You need to grab onto that today, and then you need to rise early. Let me tell you how you can place humility at the forefront of your spectrum. That is in the morning when you first get up, you need to come face-to-face with the cross. Because when I see what my Jesus did for me, it is the most humbling of all things because he did not have to do that. He did not need you and I to be more godly. He didn't need a band of worshipers and lights and hazers and people. Listen, it doesn't impress God when I lift my hands. It's not for him. It's for me to say, I adore you. You are worthy. He made us in his likeness and image. Do you know why some of our kids aren't getting ahead in life? Because we don't give them enough praise. Do you know why they need praise? Because they're made in the likeness and the image of a holy God. And he desires your praises. He said, I inhabit I dwell in the praises of my people. He said that I would be lifted up, that I would draw all men into myself. That's how the church grows. That's how people are changed, through the lifting up of Jesus and the diminishing of ourselves. Now, here's the problem. That's a paradox. That doesn't go with the grain of what we're taught in our schools. And, 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 and I mean, reality, it's not what's taught in our militaries. It's not what's taught in anything. And it's not, it's not those problems, and it's not any kind of uh, deficient teaching as, as the world would have it because that's exactly how people like Usain Bolt, who was the fastest man on planet Earth, that's how he got ahead in the island of Jamaica. He was faster. He was better. He was more agile. He worked harder. He did everything he had to do. And now he's a multimillionaire coming out of absolute and total depravity, total poverty, and now he's 
got golden shoes. He runs like the wind. But guess what? The Bible says that if I would humble myself, let's talk spiritual for a minute. Not talking about world records. Not talking about golden shoes. I'm talking about a crown that I'm going to receive in heaven that has no merit here on earth. But I'm going to get it and I'm going to lay it at the feet of my Jesus when I get to heaven. That's the accolade I want. That's the trophy I want. See, I don't want anything this world can give me. What is it? What shall a man profit? Had to gain the whole world, yet he loses his own soul. And let me add an addendum to that. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world, yet he lose his usefulness, his usefulness to be able to reach somebody else for the glory of God? Let me tell you all pet peeve. Can I be transparent with you? I'll do this. Here's some just brutal transparency. The word burnout is not mentioned in the Bible, so I don't really like to hear that word from anyone. I'm tired too, I promise you that. But guess what? Jesus never even considered giving up on me. I will never, as long as there's breath in my lungs, give up on him. I will speak it, I will use it, I will go forward. I know. But here's the truth. The paradox is this. You want to be first in line? Get to the back. You want to be great? Make yourself nothing. You want to be strong? Then become weak. I'm telling you, man, everything. Let me, let me read this to you. Dr. Kent Keith wrote a, a, a writing. I don't actually know that he created this, so I, if I misquote him for being the author, but he was cited as being the author when I was in Bible college. And he wrote the paradoxical commandments. Let me read a few of them to you. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish and ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The goods you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and be frank anyway. The biggest men and the biggest women with the... I'm sorry, not the biggest women. I misread that. That's wrong. <laughs> that wasn't a fat joke. I'm just saying, Okay. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend building, what you spend years building might be destroyed overnight. Build big anyway. People really need help, but they may attack you when you try to help them. Help them anyway. And lastly, and I love this one. This used to be on my locker when I was in, in the military. Give the world the best you have, and you will get kicked in the teeth. But give the world the best you have anyway. You see, the reality is every effort that we make with a spiritual connotation, hear me, church, this will help you. Our success or failure is not measured by the outcome of our efforts, but rather our standing with a holy God. You see, the reality is, I'm just going to be real with you. Pastor Dave and I were talking this morning. You know what? Yesterday, we, we, we smalled down rush, man. It was just, you know, last year, five or 6,000 people. I don't know. It felt like 75,000 last year. But we're up on the mountain. It's crazy. And people, kids are dropping like flies, no water. So this year, you know, we're cutting timber out there. We decided to bring it in here. This room was packed. But you look at it from a scale down, one-fifth of the number of people that we've had in the previous years. Oh, Mark, that don't make sense. That's counterintuitive to any business model. Great, because we're not operating under a business model. We're operating under a biblical worldview. And what does that mean? That we're going to spend money. We're going to lose money. We're going to go in 
the, in the red, and we're going to do it, and we're going to walk away and say, hey, we can do it again next year because 55 people gave their life to Jesus, and those 55 are going to connect with others, and they're going to connect with others. Listen, Billy Graham wasn't saved by this just this one guy. Don't miss this. Billy Graham was saved at a, at a, at a conference, at a, at a camp meeting over here, and he's changing the world. But somebody over here preached, and he heard the message. This guy was saved because somebody over here preached, and he heard the message, and he preached it to Billy Graham, and Billy Graham, and go on and on and on. The reality is long, long ago with a man with no name, with no accolade, with no memoirs, with no autobiography, with no following, preached a humble little message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And down through the quarters of time, somebody grabbed onto it and preached it. And a young boy named Billy Graham heard it, went to the woods to a cabin and said, God, if this is real, if this is your word, I want all of it. I want all your anointing. I want all your spirit. And let me preach your word. And he's preaching it. And millions have come to know them. And that's not the greatest news. What have those millions done? Maybe they've come in and preached a message and one got saved. Well, that's not the only thing. What if that one got it and he got called and it goes on and on and on and on because God starts something that cannot be stopped by the world, cannot be hindered by the, by the forces of the enemy. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How do you change it? How do you grow it? You need to diminish. Secondly, real quickly, as the band comes, you need to deny yourself. Jesus denied himself. And that self-denial says you must have the same attitude of Christ that he had. Though he was God, he did not think that equality was something to cling to. Some translations say that equality with God was not something within his grasp. Could he have grabbed it? Oh, yes, my friend. I love the gospel account. Several gospel accounts are a little different. One tells more story than the other. Does it make them in conflict or contrast with one another? Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John come at the writing of the gospel from a completely different perspective in the way that they view Jesus. If I sent a man through that door where Michael stands right there and he ran down here and he went around and he ran out, every one of us would see the same thing, but each of us may account something different. He had on blue jeans. He had on a ball cap. He had on this. It doesn't make any of them wrong. It just means that's what I saw. So the gospel message is there's many accounts where the gospel writers say when Jesus was in the garden and he was arrested by the Roman soldiers that they walked up and they, he said, whom do you seek? He said, we look for Jesus of Nazareth. Some accounts say, I am he. And they went and arrested him. And that's the end of the story i love the account where it says this that they came up and he asked them who do you seek today who do you come looking for he said jesus of nazareth he said i am he and the bible says they fell back with the power of his own voice when he was on the cross do you know jesus had to die before the men on the outside could have ever died because they hung between him was not only the giver of life but life himself at any point if he did not deny himself Men could not have even touched him. They would have went to pull the, face, the hair from his face and they would have fallen over dead. Mark, what do you mean? Let me tell you what I mean. Just the image of the glory of God was contained in an ark of the covenant. And do you know that if they would lift just the veil to look underneath and look at it, they were struck dead immediately because of the holiness that it represented. That wasn't even God. It was merely the holiness that it represented. In one account, they're moving the Ark of the Covenant from Palestine to another place. And they're moving it. And, and it began to topple over. It was on the back of a horse carriage. And it began to topple over. A few of the soldiers ran up to catch it, to stop it. They touched the side of it. It fell dead immediately. Mark, what does that mean? When Jesus came to this earth, had he not denied himself, 
Men could not have even walked up to him and said, are you the Christ? They could not have even looked upon his face. So holy. Moses, when he was called by God, who shall I say sent me? I am. That's what God told him. I've almost thought before he must have said, what's your last name? (laughs) I am that I am. And then he said, I want to see your face. You know what God told him? Not going to happen, my brother. You can't look upon me and live. No man has looked upon my holiness and lived. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock. And I'm going to walk by and I'm going to let you see the back of me. And the Bible says that when Moses came down off the mountain, that his face, his color of his hair, his face glowed. I mean, it looked like he would have had Clinique on women. You with me? Glow. And his hair is, it turned gray. And he came down and had the Shekinah glory of God illuminating from his face. Just because he saw the back of God. Oh, let me, let me say. Jesus willingly denied himself. You want the mind of Christ? Deny yourself. You got a pair of shoes on? You walk down the street and you see a guy barefooted, take your shoes off and give them to him. Somebody comes up and says, hey, man, I want a dollar. What do we do? We immediately, we immediately go over here and say, I know what they're going to do. They're going to go buy a hit of meth. Do you know God expects you to use some wisdom? But sometimes God may want you to stop long enough to look at that guy and look him in the face and say, you know what, man, I know what your motives are. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but here's my heart. I want to give you $5. I want to give you $10. But can I pray with you? Mark, what if he walks away and still goes by as the dope? God bless you for being obedient to sow into a life. What they do with it. Hey, man, when we preach, David, Steve, when we preach, I've heard preachers, pre- preachers say this before. Hey, how was revival? Nah, it, was, it was pretty good, man. We, we didn't have a big crowd. You know, we didn't have anybody respond, man. We gave an invitation, man. I preached my heart out. We gave an invitation. Nobody came down. Okay, how was revival, dude? I didn't ask you that. How was revival? Well, I'm telling you, it wasn't a big crowd. You know, we were really a little off, and nobody came down to give. Did you preach? Yeah, I preached. Did you preach your heart out? Yeah, I preached my heart out. Did you pray about the message you preached? Did you? See, success is not merited on what people do after it's gone forth. Before that, it's me and God. God, what do you want me to preach? Same is true for you when you witness How did the witnessing go? Well, you know, they didn't get saved. Yeah, but did you do what God called you to do? See, you just have to deny yourself. And lastly, real quick, you got to develop a vision for the lost. If I could ever say one thing that I want this church to wrap their arms around is to develop a true passion, a true vision for the lost, for the broken, for the undone, for the ones on the outside. For the ones on the outside. Verse 8 says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. What's your mind look like today? You want to be the best dad you can be? Put on the mind of Jesus. You want to be the best husband you can be? Love your wife as Jesus loved the church. Put on the mind of Jesus. You want to be the best mom? Put on the mind of Jesus. Student, you want to truly shine? I'm not talking about an accolade that you're going to win on awards night. You want to shine for Jesus? Put on the mind of Jesus.
You want to change the world? It's kind of a big undertaking. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. You may work your whole life and feel like you're not getting anywhere. And one day, God just unfolds a door in front of you and you say, there it is. Or better yet, you might just get to heaven and you bow before God <laughs> and you see Him in all of His fullness and He just looks at you and He says, well done. Is that enough? Or does heaven need to be heaven because of something else? For me, it's just well done. I mean, guys, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we just going through the numbers? I want to hear those words more than anything in the world. I want to see my dad. I want to see people that have gone before me. But that's not the first thing I want to do. I want to see the Apostle Paul, but that's not even on the top ten. I want to wrap my arms around Moses and say, man, what was that like when you saw the Sea of the sea of Galilee, the Red Sea open up? What was that like, Peter? When you walk down the streets and they put their sick and dying in the streets so that your shadow may cast on them and they got up. I, that is not even on my top ten. I want to see Jesus and that's enough. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. I want a passion for the lost. I want you to get a passion for the lost. I want you to wake up, church, because the reality is is the enemy's working overtime. Our kids are being lost. Our children are being pushed to the side. Marriages are failing because people won't stand up and say, put on the mind of Christ let me love her again let me serve her again daddies, husbands that's what you gotta do my God if our kids win Mr. and Mrs. whatever and they win all the accolades and scholarships yet they lose their soul and their effectiveness to spread the gospel we have failed what if they get the scholarship and they win the accolades and valedictorian and they have to hear the message from the school that the school has to give by default because we got some amazing Christian administrators. But by default, they have to look at them and say, now you know, you can't talk about Jesus. And the whole time they're saying that, they're going, they're going to talk about Jesus because the valedictorian Christian boys and girls that are standing up on the podium, nervous and wrecked, but God has spoken to them and they get up and they say, I'm so honored to be your valedictorian, but I just want to tell you, it's because of my Jesus that I'm standing here. I'm not the smartest cat in the world, but I know one thing, he died for me and I love him. I love to see those kind of things happen at graduations, don't you? Let's bow our heads all over the room today. Let's put on the mind of Christ. People have already come to the altar. Please don't wait for me to give you an invitation. If you're struggling today, come right now. Just come. If your marriage is on the rocks, come. If you're experiencing burnout, come. Let Him refill your tank today with a spirit of love and passion. If you're on the verge of just, just giving up, come. If you've lost your passion for the lost, come. If you want to know Jesus, pray with me right now from your heart to God and invite him into your life right here, right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. And then make it personal. Just make it personal. Not praying a prayer. Just say this to Jesus. Dear Jesus, I love you. Save me. Help me to live for you repent I repent of my sin in Jesus name I pray
If you prayed today and asked Jesus into your heart with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just lift your hand up right now. Just lift it up. And I want to pray for you. That's it. That's all I'm going to do. Lift your hands up and say, I prayed and asked Jesus. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? Your hands that went up, they are men. There are women that will stand out here and pray with you. That's it. Maybe you're trying to give something up today. And man, oh man, oh man, it's hard to hold on to that thing. And you want to give it up so bad. You want to turn it over to the Lord. Why don't you come now? Sir, gentlemen, ma'am, there's somebody in this room today. Maybe God's spoken to you about joining the church. Come now. Don't wait another moment. I'm going to stand down front today. They're going to sing. If you gave your life to Jesus, I want you to come. Come tell me what you did. Come tell one of these folks. Let them pray with you. But if God just merely spoke to your heart today in some capacity and you say, Mark, I want to just put on the mind of Jesus and just need your prayers. Just come today. Shake my hand and turn around and walk away. Not because of me, but out of obedience to God. Would you stand here?